Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to You've Championed Yourself. Who are you? I'm Chris Ferguson, your host. It has been a dream of mine to showcase ordinary people doing extraordinary things in life for themselves and for others. Those who have taken their dreams and ideas and then turned it in there to, into their reality as they reach beyond their personal struggles, their personal pains, their traumas, where so many people give up or they lose hope. There are the few who can walk through their obstacles and walk beyond their challenges. They don't know where it's going to take them. They trust themselves enough not to give up, to do the follow through in their personal life, their career, in their relationships. This is what I call a champion of life. Today, I have an amazing individual with me. Her name is Susan Benny, and she is all about of service to people and helping people. So let's bring Susan into the podcast. Hi. Hello. How are you? I'm fantastic. I'm so oh. pleased to be here. Oh, well, you know, I'm honored. I was excited. I was reading your, the questions that I had, my interview questions that I ask all my interviewees every time. And I was just like, oh yeah, another intuitive empath. I love it. My peeps, my tribe showing up, you know, so I love it. I love it. I love it. I'm honored. I'm excited that you're here with me today. Yeah, I, I you know, I am so grateful to be here and there's something about timing. And the timing of today seems to be so appropriate to be championing who I am. It is. And it, well, it's that every day. And this is what I try to tell people. Um, how we label ourselves, how we listen to our inner chatter, it all defines who we become. So why are we defining ourselves that way? We have the ability to champion ourselves. Yes, absolutely. So... With that, Susan, I always ask my people that come on the podcast, everybody has this backstory, everybody has their, their issues, but what was that one point in your life that where things were going awry and now all of a sudden you said, I can't do that anymore. Can you remember back and talk about that time? Yeah, actually there's a couple of them, but the main one is 26 years ago. I mm. gave birth to my daughter. Um, I gave birth to my daughter and she was born with hydrocephalus, mm -hmm. um, a mild disability. And the word can't was put into her world, you know, all mm. the things that she wouldn't be able to do. And I knew that I had to take that word out of her world, but it didn't come into real focus into a story about what I do until the day I was laid off from a 17 year career, no fault of my own. Mm. And I'm like, oh, what do I do now? I, I can't go back to school. I can't do a normal job. I can't go back into the not-for-profit. I had been in the not-for-profit. I can't do this, I can't do that. And that word just stuck in my head. Mm. And so I had to go back to how I was able to take that word out of my daughter's vocabulary, 26 years ago, which had been like, you know, 17, 18 years of my life, I knew that I had helped my daughter take it out of her world. I didn't take it out of mine. Mm. So that was really that pivotal moment of change. 
It is. You know, we're all real good at giving advice to everybody and seeing clarity for everybody else but ourselves. And and that's just a reality. I get it. I get it. I get it. So how did you learn I can? Well, you know, helping her when she was little and being so frustrated at the doctors when they said, well, she can't walk, she can't crawl, she can't feed herself, she can't dress herself. I'm like, yeah, she can. Don't tell me what she can't do. Like reverse psychology, don't tell me what she can't do. (laughs) I'm going to help her do things the way I know she can. It's going to look differently, but I'm going to do that. And so when I was laid off from my job, um, you know, I went through grief. I went through the mourning process. I went through a long time. Fortunately, I had the time. Um, I was still getting paid. You know, I had a good year. And in that year, I came up with a process of really focusing for myself on what can I do? What do I want? What can I have? What can I obtain if I don't have it? What kind of knowledge do I need? What what kind of lessons do I need? Just like I did for her when she was a baby and didn't know anything, right? And, mm-hmm. and I really, I went back to that time because she walked first, then she crawled. Mm-hmm. Right? And so there was things I knew I could do. I love to talk. I love to tell story. I've learned to tell story. I've learned to empower people through talking in, you know, my job with, with what I was doing, what I was getting paid nine to five Monday to Friday to do. So certainly if I can take that world, that, that word of can't out of my world, I can help others do it too. So that's really where that process started. I, I love that. And I don't know if you know, but I was orphaned at eight and I was separated from my brothers and sisters and I had so much anger and fear, but I, I had, I had the fear I had was of the uncertainty, but the word I learned that I can do anything just because I'm unwanted, unloved, abandoned. I can do anything. If I thought they would do it one way, I'd do it another, not knowing where it went, not knowing what was happening, but I, I chose differently. And so I, I absolutely resonate with what you're saying because short story of a long lifetime, I wanted to get post-certified in the state of Tennessee as a police officer. I was 60 years old. I went through the academy. I graduated. The fact was, is there was never a time of doubt. There was never a time of question. It was just, I'm going to, you know, I'm not going to tell you what I'm going to do. I'm just like, okay, I'm going to the academy. I signed up. I did everything. There was naysayers. Oh, she's too old. She's this, she's that. She's, uh, you know, not in peak physical shape. Well, I wasn't the fastest runner, but I wasn't the end of the pack either. And I didn't give up on myself. I didn't give up on my on my uh, instructors. I kept going forward. So I I live. I can do anything. So I love the fact just to share that tidbit with you that you I'm not sure you knew, but that is that is my world. Wow. Yeah, I didn't realize that. And and you know, I think. I think that being said, there are so many people out there that have experienced it, but aren't bringing it to the forefront of, of who they are. Right. But they have that, that limiting belief. And because of that limiting belief, they're uncertain. So it brings up uncertainty and then it brings, and they're not sure. And they, 
don't get clear clarity on it. So that's what it stays with. I, I can't. Yes. Yeah. So I love that. I love that. Um, one of the things that you talk about and I, and I'm so much on the same page as you in some of the stuff I do with my clients that you do with your clients, but it's the mindset. That is everything. Yep. Can yep. you tell me how you went from I can't to I can on a mindset level? Yeah. Mindset was a huge shift and a huge shift in that I'm 55. Okay. And it took me, what, 48 years, 49 years of believing a certain way of doing things, right? that nine to five job, that Monday to Friday, that tenure, you know, stay in a job, be successful. That's what I learned. That's what I heard. And so I really had to take a look at that shift of the mind and go back to some of my limiting beliefs. Some of the things that I was told, there was, there was gold in what I was told, but I didn't hear the gold right? I didn't hear the positive. I heard the negative every single time. Um, I was in victim mentality and have been since I was six years old. And so mm. I had to go back to a time where when I was six, my brother told me I'd never be successful. I wasn't pretty. I wasn't smart. I didn't have friends. Mm. I would never amount to anything. Never be successful. Now, I don't know if those are the words he used, but that's what I heard. And mm -hmm. so I had to go back and rewrite that story for myself and understand that from a mindset perspective, he was eight. I was six. What was he going through as an eight-year-old boy in that circumstance to pick on me, his little sister? And I figured that out. And I realized it was never my story. Mm -hmm. It was his story. And so by rewriting <laughs> and reliving right? By yeah. rewriting and reliving and saying, what parts of that were mine? Just like when I said to my daughter, what parts can you do? What parts can't you do? So that was a huge mind shift. And once I got there and realized that that story was for me to learn and acknowledge that and then let it go. That was huge. I love you say that and talked about bullying from your brother because I wrote a book back in 2014 and it's called leave my bubbles alone. And it talks about bullying starts in the family. And when one doesn't feel good about themselves, they take it, they want to get their control back. They want to get their power back. So who's the other people around there? Their siblings or younger siblings that don't have the physical, mental or emotional strength to stand up to them. And so that's where it starts. And most people don't understand that parents just, you know, for years when I'm growing up, when I was growing up, it's sibling rivalry. No, it's not. Yeah. Sometimes it's unmerciful it, and sometimes it's deadly, but it is that. But I love the fact that you didn't accept it as yours because that's the key. Yeah. And yeah. you identified that. And that's even better because that's how you realize it. It's like, wow, who knew? Yeah. And, and, you know, to take that one step further, um, everything I do, I learn from. Okay. And something in what you just said by, by going, yes, I love that brought up something else for me as a parent, 
Um, I'm still waiting for my manual to come out, by the way. My, my kids came out. I'm still waiting for the manual, right? Okay. You um, might have to write it. I'm just saying you might have I'm, to. Write I, I'm sure, right? But I learned that my children experienced a very similar thing to what I did unknowingly, right? And every single day, and that's why I say I'm 55, because every single day of my life, I learn something. We all do, right? Yeah. We all have experiences. We all have stories. We all have memories. And my daughter, um, who didn't have a disability, my younger daughter, said, I wish I had what my sister had. For the attention? For the attention. And I, I was trying to give them both the same attention, but she was seeing the, the special things that I did for her because of her disability, right? Mm -hmm. The doctor's appointments, that that all these things that I didn't think were attention, it was just the reality of life. And my daughter succumbed, my younger daughter, she succumbed to feeling more pain and ironically has more pain chronically that she lives with now than her sister ever did. I get that. I absolutely get that because now we're still talking about the mindset and we're talking about children. And, you know, I used to think in life was all about communicating, how to communicate effectively. And then one day I worked with troubled youth for 21 years of my 40 years in law enforcement. And this kid said, you just told me this. And it was like, that's not what I said, but that's how you perceived it. So it was the perception of what is being said that the other person is understanding. And so that's when you have to realize it's that you can communicate something very clearly, but that's not the perception it's giving to the other person because in their mind, they're hearing something different. Absolutely. And, and, or they're defining it completely different. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I, still to this day, the word success has me in this, this world of puzzlement because I will never be successful defined by society, defined by the definition in a dictionary, defined by so many other people. But I already know in my mind, I am successful because I raised two children despite mm -hmm everything that was being given to me and told to me about what they can and can't do. And I survived that. And so did they. And so we are successful people. And I love, again, I love that because it is, it is exactly how you understand it because I want to talk about the stories we tell ourselves. Yeah. I call it inner chatter and if, and overthinking, but there's so many ways of understanding this can you define it how you communicate it? Yeah. And, and, and you know, it's, it's interesting that you asked me that. And I said about today being perfect timing because it's evolved even today. I help people stand in the power of their story. And that can be a good story, can be a bad story, can be negative, positive, ugly, pretty. It's about if, if I say to myself, I can't do that because I'm not capable. I need to look at what am I not capable of? Mm -hmm. And what is that narrative that I'm telling myself, right? Now I can turn it around and say, I can do it. I'm choosing not to. But I can also look at it and say, I can do it, but I have to do it differently than the way you're going to do it because I have a limitation. And 
if you can't accept the way I need to do it and we have to do it together, then I'm going to have to go and work with someone else or do something else. Mm -hmm. So you really have to look at that, that story, that narrative of, first of all, why are you telling yourself that? What's behind that? What's the why that's really digging in deep? And what can you learn from that? Right? Everything we tell ourselves, every story we tell ourselves, there's something to learn from that. Why are we saying that in the first place? Which, of course, then story and mindset are all very connected, right? Yes, they are. But the thing is, is that I find, and the reason why I want to bring up about the stories we tell ourselves is that we make excuses for ourselves and for others' bad behaviors instead of owning it and being accountable for it and saying, you know what, okay, I'm human, I'm flawed, I made a mistake. Yes. We yes. tell ourselves a story, well, it was justified because of, well, be, when you say, but it, but, and those are words that are excuses to disassociate your responsibility to your actions. Yes, absolutely. And, and, and by, by reframing, reliving, rewriting our internal dialogue and the story that we're telling ourselves and, or I love what you said about justification, because when we say something, you know, I, I can go ahead and make a million dollars, but mm -hmm. I don't want to do what you're doing. Okay. Mm -hmm. Nobody said you have to do what they're doing. You're mm -hmm. making a, a, an excuse as to why, right? Whereas if I say I can make a million dollars, it's going to take me a little bit longer than you. I'm doing it differently, but I'm happy the way I'm living and, and choosing to do what I, I do. It's got so much more power to it mm -hmm. than having that. But if because, however, mm -hmm. in there. And the more we can shift to that positive or that powerful, um, I'm going to take the word positive right out of there, the more we can shift to that powerful narrative that we speak to ourselves on the daily, mm -hmm. the more we're going to feel more confident and more powerful in who we are in ourselves. But we become more authentic too. Absolutely, yes. And so we're, when you start saying and setting boundaries and all of a sudden you, you know, I'm not accepting those other people's bad behaviors as my behavior. I'm not accepting my bad choices as somebody else's influences. When you become authentic with yourself, it changes your mindset. And so this is just, I love this. It's, this is just the rabbit hole I love going down because <laughs> it's the stories that we also tell others. Yes. Is, are the reframed, as your word, the stories that we tell ourselves so that we're acceptable, we're liked, we're okay, we're good, you know, regardless yeah. of what it is? Yeah, absolutely. And, and when I first started this journey, I was, because I was exposed to the entrepreneurial world, right? If I can do it, you can do it. Well, I'm going to do it. I don't, I don't know what it is you're doing, but I'm going to do it, right? <laughs> and that's where my journey began. Um and I started by really helping people go from where they were to where they wanted to be. And by telling a story about who they are, right? As an entrepreneur, we need to tell this powerful story very briefly, who we are, what we do, why we do it, and how we help others and, and why they want to work with us. 
And so many people were keeping themselves that best kept secret. Oh, no, no, no. I'm too afraid to get out there. Okay. That's the story you're telling yourself. Mm -hmm. And that falls in line with that story you're telling others. And I've really noticed the shift in if I have something that's so very powerful and it's something that's going to serve others, mm -hmm. I've learned this process and I'm going to help others, you know, by serving them to understand this, the very first thing any, any of us have to do, entrepreneurs, especially in this circumstance, is to tell that story of who you are and why you're powerful and why you're unique and different. And if we're, if we're, you know, not an entrepreneur or, or whoever we are, and we're telling that story to others, we need to tell it in a certain way that we're not going, Oh, now they're going to judge me because mm -hmm. you're just opening them up. Right. So stop opening them up to judging or criticizing or ridiculing or right. And I did that as a child. Right. I think we all did. I yeah. think we all did. Yeah. <laughs> and there are times I've done that as an adult. And it's, it's that shifting of the judgment that means the most to me is the judgment I place upon myself and the story I tell myself on a daily. Mm -hmm. and, and it needs to change. It needs to be, it deserves to be a more self-fulfilling, powerful story. I agree. I, I never told anybody that I grew up in an orphanage. I nobody told everybody I was that abandoned kid. I didn't want one to think to see me in a sympathetic way because that's not who I was. That's not where my spirit was. That's not how I was guided. But I didn't also want people to, because back growing up with all these society norms back in the 60s, because I was um 10 years old in 1969. And it was, you know, people keeping up with the Joneses. There was all these social norms and even so much so that the, the churches were following the social norms. And so it, I wouldn't tell anybody. And that was the thing I was most afraid of. That was the biggest fear in my life was people knowing that I wasn't, it wasn't that I was portraying myself as anybody else. I was just this kid. I was just this person trying to pay it forward. I never told the kids I was working with because on the streets of Miami-Dade and, and Fort Lauderdale, I didn't want to appear weak. I didn't want them to think, oh, she's one of us. She's a street kid. She'll compromise herself. That's not what my message was. My message was no matter where you come from, no matter what your social or economic demographics are, you have choices in life. And so that's why I never told anybody. Now that I'm speaking out, now that my badge is on the wall and no longer on my hip, and I'm doing these podcasts and I'm having kids that have been on my, uh, that were at the high school where I worked as the chief of security for the school board police. Um, <laughs> You were like, oh my God, now we understand why you were the way you were. I don't think, none of them knew I worked on the streets down in Miami-Dade and Broward County. The school I was at was 78% black. Wow. And so here I am, this female, and I'm breaking up gang fights. I, I have no fear. 
after what I've been through my life, what are you going to, what you're going to intimidate me? I used to bench 200 pounds. Let's talk. So I had the physical appearance. Plus I also had the, 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 um, no mess with attitude, but it was the fact was, is when they, after being there for 15 years, they trusted me beyond trust. So it was my actions and my words matched and they were consistent. Yes. So in that, I want to talk about your intuitive coaching because I used my intuitiveness in everything I did in my life in law enforcement. I couldn't tell anybody in law enforcement I was that extremely intuitive because that's the woo-woo world. Yeah. And in law enforcement, it's all about it's all about the facts, ma'am. It's all about the facts. What happened? Let's go A, B, C, D. What happened here? The questions, who, the where's, the what's, the why's, the how's. So it was a dichotomy to go by, but it was also helping me in ways. So as an intuitive, how are you working with your clients? Yeah, I love that question. Um, so, and, and, and there's a bit of a complex answer, okay? There's <laughs> the, um, I can answer that for the, the normal person, if you will, quote unquote. I can answer that for the spiritual woo-woo person. But to answer that simply... I listen and I respond. I listen and I learn and I hear and I tap into everything. I don't just tap into what I think the response needs to be. I don't tap into the teachings of what I've learned the response needs to be, right? That, that list of coaching questions and the list of answers I actually tap into a higher power, a higher source of who I am and use my entire surroundings. So, and I've just recently learned about growing into not the space that we're in, but growing into the space that we have access to. Mm -hmm. And there are sometimes, not all the time, it depends on the person I'm working with that I will actually say to them, okay, I got to tell you something. I see orbs in front of me. I kind of see them above me. And I'm going to, not physically, but this is what it feels like for me to grab it and pull it down. I'm going to open it up and I'm going to gift it to you. And then I'm going to ask you if it makes sense. And if it doesn't, let's unpack it a little bit further. Nine times out of 10, it's going to make sense. Sometimes I don't even tell them that. But I speak to what I hear and to what comes to me, um, a download of, uh, I, I can't even believe this is coming into my mouth, a download of epic proportions <laughs> that I can basically gift and say, this is what needs to be heard and seen. And it's not just about hearing me for them. So I cannot do a call I can, I choose not to do calls <laughs> where they can't see and hear me, right? There's some people that, oh, can, can we just have a phone call? Well, we can, but it's going to be a bigger experience. If I can see your body language, you can see mine. And I think that that's got to be one of the, the, the biggest ways to say it to a person who doesn't believe in the intuitive woo part of it. I, I, I love your answer. I love, love, love it. It's, you did it in such a way that it is so explainable. 
but I have to share a story with you. Yeah. I, my husband is not part of the woo woo. He's a very analytical individual and that's okay. I love him for whoever he is. We, he came into my office and we had this argument. It was an argument. And as he goes walking out, one of my crystals jumped off of my table and went out after him. Literally, physically, I was sitting in front of my computer right here. He's walking out. He says, did you throw that at me? And I said, no, I didn't throw anything at you. I said, you had to have knocked it off in your hand. You had to have knocked it off. And he goes, I didn't touch anything. And I said, well, I don't know what to tell you. And so he left, he went to church, he did his thing. He comes home and he goes, all I can say is it's the energy. I don't understand it, but I didn't touch it. You didn't move. And I said, well, you can't come into this sacred space of mine and get negative. So as an extreme empath, I love the way that you described it because it is all knowing But I'm sitting here and as you're talking about this, I'm seeing your ancestors show up for me. So we'll talk about that after the podcast. But it's just that's just how I work. And that's just that's how how intuitive I am. But the one thing I did want to talk about as far as an intuitive coach, it's one of the things that you said that you're an EFT practitioner. Can you explain EFT to my my listeners? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so um, a a tiny disclaimer, um, I don't use EFT on a daily. I don't use EFT all the time. It's it's really um, a gift that I have that I can tap into if so needed. And when I say tap into, it's really about tapping. So there's pressure points and they're here, here, under the eye here, 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 and here. And it's about going through those meridians and Mm -hmm. they're all connected to everything within our body. So similar to reflexology, similar to other modalities, but it's really a way of, you know, if, if I'm really emotionally charged and I'm working with someone or if I'm, if I'm about to speak on stage, okay, because I also help people tell their story from stage, sometimes you'll see me do this. Or you won't see me do that. You'll see me do this. Mm. Or you'll see me do this. Mm-hmm. Or this. Because what I'm doing is tapping onto those meridians, calming myself down, bringing my focus somewhere else. And as we do that, although it looks weird and it might look a little hokey, um, the biggest one for me is this one. It's a little hokey, right? Um, Why is someone tapping their armpit? But when we go into these meridians and when we tap them, our focus starts to clear. Mm -hmm. Um, And now the power in this, and I I, got to share this because visually I know you can see my camera is blurring. (laughs) as is it for me as well, really has nothing to do with, and there we are clear, it doesn't have to do with the tapping. What it has to do with is the power that's exuding through what I'm doing. And when you're focusing on those pressure points, you may have noticed my voice has changed because for Mm -hmm. me, it slows me down. Mm -hmm. It calms me. 
and it brings me to a level place and my energy changes and shifts, which is all that ever needs to happen when you're telling yourself a story. I mean, being in law enforcement, my brother was a policeman for years um, and he would calm people down because mm -hmm. once they're calm, you can hear a better version of what they're trying to explain. Whereas when we're all hyped up and we're all going crazy and we can't breathe and we can't think and we can't, we got to bring ourselves back. Mm -hmm. So depending on where the story that they're reliving triggers them or takes them, I can calm them down by going through the EFT motion. And most people don't know what a meridian is, but it's much like a chakra. It's an energy point and you have 432 meridian points in your body. And I use the nine point gamut. I don't know if you've ever heard of it before, but it also includes your tailbone. Okay. And so as you work under go to your last point after your, before you go to the head, as you work downward and go to the armpit, you go to your, you tap on your tailbone. That's where your root chakra is. That's where you, you hold all your pain, your traumas, your insecurities, your uncertainties is in your root chakra. Okay. And then you go from the tailbone up to the head. So as a, there's so many different, different uh, methods of it, but this is one that I use personally, just when I'm not feeling clear on something, I do the EFT and I highly recommend people to, if you're interested in getting that clarity and you're having a hard time doing it, do some YouTube channels, do some, some research on EFT and it's emotional. I call it frequency tapping and, but a lot of people call it an emotional freedom tapping also. Right. So the, so the fact is, but I call it frequency because that's what I'm doing. I'm changing my frequency from, chaos and drama like you said to emotionally calming and soothing and and releasing that extra energy through the tapping and one of the other points uh that i use is right here between the the pinky and the forefinger right in between those fingers if you push up into it and push in that's a huge meridian point to hold and it it, it hurts at first but once you get that meridian active it actually helps you because it's a starting point because a lot of people tap here on the side, mm -hmm. but I start here and I, I just rub up and down on the finger. So it opens, it helps open up the side of the hand. Okay. And that's just, that's just different modalities to it, different right. styles to it. But right. that's one of the things that I guess different people, Donna Eden uses the nine point gamut. I don't know if you know who she is. She's huge on EFT. Um, Nick Ortner, he's a big, big, big guy in New York who put out EFT on a commercial level that bigger than most people. One of my friends, Chris Ferraro, is an EFT master and she's amazing. I've gone through her on a lot of things. So in that, so I honor you because it is a different modality from all other modalities. And most people realize they were like, does that stuff really work? It works. Yeah. And, and I love what you said about the tailbone and about, and about this, this point, right? I, I tend to use this point too, which. Right. Here, yeah. Um, because that was gifted to me years ago to help my daughter's headaches. Mm -hmm. And that's right. And 
I, I love that you've shown that there's a different way because it, it leads me to that nothing on the planet is new. We all just have a new way of using a certain thing in a certain way, or we pick up in the technique that we learned um, the ways that work for us. Mm -hmm. And that's important. Um, it's, it's almost like defining success for yourself. Mm -hmm. It's using that part of the modality that works best for you and your clients. It, it is. And the thing is, is most people don't realize, know that EFT came out of acupressures. Right. And acupressuring came out of acupuncture and, and the acupressure became as a, a, a well-known modality because people don't want the needles, the dry needling done. So the fact is, is that they all work wonders for the bodies. I'm so involved in holistic things for the body because I'm not about chemicals. I'm not about getting you know, addicted to drugs or opioids or the, you know, big farm wants you to understand it. I absolutely would prefer natural things to do to help me heal my body. Right. And I say that because the placebo effect proves that a person can heal themselves. Yeah. Amen. And so whether I give you a sugar pill and say, man, this is, this is a miracle pill. Take the pill and know that it's a miracle. Know that it's going to help you. And so whether you use quantum physics, whether you use the placebo effect, it is all about the mindset. And here we've come full circle. Absolutely. So in the in all of this, I, I, I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation, Susan. But I wanted to ask you, can you give my audience three tips how to make just their basic life better? Yeah. So the very first thing is to uncover, discover, realize that being one thing, what your vision of what you want is. Because we need to know what we're working towards. What do you want in life? For me, I never had the, the choice or the want. I was living for other people. So the first thing is to really figure out what it is that you want and get help with that if you need it. So you have that vision to work towards. The second one is to define what you can do. Write down all the things that you're capable of. Focus on what you can do and what you can do well. Don't try to fit into other people's norms. Just fit into your mindset of what you can do and do it well to get what you want. <laughs> and the third thing is to define things in your own terms. Okay. I tell people all the time, who are you? Define who you are. Define what success is for you. Define what the meaning of being happy is. Because when you can define that for yourself and know what's going to take to make your life happy, there's nothing that you can't do to get to where you want to be. And so that really just falls into the, and this is a bit of a mantra, a bit of a move, movement that I had. Yes, I can. Yes, I will. Because yes, I am. What do you want? What can you do to get there? What will you do to make it happen? 
and who are you? I like that. I like that. The, the one thing I tell, uh, just to capitalize on that, I tell my clients that it's the action. So no matter what I want, no matter what my dream is, no matter what my desires are, what actions am I willing to take to step through that threshold to the other side of that door? And how is it going to feel once yeah. I do it? Yeah. What will you do? Yeah. Because it, it, it's, it has to be your words and your actions match. Yes. Yes. I love that, Susan. I, I, I meant we could talk for hours. And, we and could, I, you know, and, and when you said three, I'm like, three, oh my God, right? And, and of course, the other one, which ties it all together, which is kind of full circle, and I love a full circle movement as much as you do, is to stand in the power of your story. Mm -hmm. Good, bad, otherwise. It's teaching you something for the moment, for the season, for the time. It just stand in that power, um, heal, grow, expand. Mm, I love it. I love it. Okay. I ask this of everybody that comes on my podcast, whether they're woo woo or not. So <laughs> I ask this of everybody, sit back, close your eyes, take a deep breath in. And I want you to connect with your inner five-year-old child. And what would she say about you today? I'm so proud of who have you who you've become. I never thought you'd make it, but you have, and you're amazing. Yes, and she also said you never gave up on yourself, even though you wanted to, even though you didn't have the clarity, you weren't sure where you were going, but you knew in your heart of hearts that you were capable, you were enough, and you were safe. See, I was trying not to cry, and I knew that if I said <laughs> any of that... <laughs> This would be a bawling, blithering. No, I, I get it. But the thing is, is I actually, in getting everybody in touch with their inner child, they find that power with inside them. While they're in that five seconds and they're going down there, they're feeling their heartbeat. And then their inner child's coming from their soul and saying, my God, you've gone so much further than I ever thought we would go. You're doing amazing things for people. That I'm so proud of you, but I'm also so excited for your future. And when you feel that, it opens up those other little subconscious critical factors that keeps us from taking the next step forward. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Susan, and, and it is... It has been my honor and my pleasure to have you with me here today. I, your knowledge is so invaluable. I just love the fact that you're vulnerable enough to be authentic, real, raw, and rare. And that's a rare breed on this planet. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, it was my pleasure being here. And I, I love that you have honored the space for me to be in. Uh, it's my pleasure. Hold on just a second. It takes a special kind of individual to dream their thoughts and their ideas, turning it into their reality. 
Susan Benny, you've stepped past your fears. You stayed the course and you had the courage to do the follow through to the end. Susan Benny, you've championed yourself. Now we know who you've become. Thank you for sharing your thoughts, your ideas, your dreams, and your practices with us here today.